0: What are the latest strategies for treating and preventing the types of injuries encountered by professional soccer players? Welcome to Breakthroughs in Sports Medicine on MD XM 157. I'm your host, Dr. Sherwin Ho, and joining us today to discuss treatment and prevention of injuries for elite soccer players is Dr. Riley Williams. Dr. Williams is an associate professor of orthopedic surgery at Weill Medical College at Cornell University. He's also the director of the Institute for Cartilage Repair at the Hospital for Special Surgery in New York City and the head team physician for several sports teams, including the New York Red Bulls professional soccer team. Welcome, Dr. Riley.
1: Thank you, Sherwin. Glad to be here.
0: Speaking of elite soccer player injuries, what we want to roll into is a little about the prevention and maybe preparation in the preseason and postseason that you in New York City have found is helpful with your athletes?
1: Of course. Well, the soccer season, as you know, it's pretty long. If you look at the first game of our season here in the, in the Major League Soccer, is typically at the beginning of April, and it, and it carries through October. And then if you're fortunate enough to make the playoffs, you're running into November. So in our season with the MLS, we have a, a relatively short offseason season it's usually somewhere between four to six months. So most of the guys, fortunately, do stay around. So we really break up our training into in-season and preseason training. We'll typically have the players show up for a pre-season training schedule, which is two months in advance. They'll come in for physicals. And our strength and conditioning coaches really look to the Pilates method as a way of doing two things. Number one, enhancing their ability to withstand eccentric muscle contraction, which we think is preventative for some of the hamstring and groin and, and muscle strains of the lower extremity that, that plague these soccer players. And it does so while you know, increasing strength and not necessarily bulking up the athletes, which really in this, this population you're really not looking to do. Their natural ability as soccer players is to run around and be lithe and quick and typically it's, it's not desirable to really increase their muscle bulk, especially legs, considerably. So, and interestingly enough, that's also the approach that the professional basketball team with whom I work uses too. So I've become a believer over the years that the Pilates method for, for strengthening is, is very good. Now, we don't use that in season. They typically stick with very light free weight training during the season for their conditioning routine as well as lots and lots and lots of lower extremity stretching. Some of the guys are even doing yoga. Uh, The team brings in a yoga instructor, which they do sort of early in the week, well before game time again, all in an attempt to maintain flexibility and and keeping their muscles supple.
0: For those of our audience who aren't familiar with Pilates, Riley, just a, a brief synopsis of what makes Pilates different from the sort of standard workout?
1: Well, uh, the Pilates method really is a a method which, if you watch some of the, the late night exercise machine infomercials, there's one that I believe Chuck Norris supports, I can't remember the name of it offhand in any event, basically consists of a, a device called a reformer. And and just think of the reformer as being a, a mobile board that lies on two wheels on tracks track that, that is able to be moved back and forth on these tracks and then there are some pulleys onto which there are straps and the straps can be put around your arms, the straps can be put around a leg and what have you and basically you can increase or decrease the elevation of either end of the boards such that you could use your arms, for example, to, if you imagine them up over your head, you could put your hands into loops in the cords and then pull your arms straight down by your sides like a swim stroke and that would pull your body weight superiorly. So you're you're really using the mobility of these boards and your body weight as a resistance exercise, again, increasing your flexibility, enhancing your flexibility depending on the positioning, while at the same time not really requiring any real weights or dumbbells or things you would typically associate with with weight training.
0: So say I'm a team physician for the local high school team, and we've had a rash of strains and sprains, and, and I listen to this segment and I say, Uh, Pilates, we got a Pilates instructor down the street. Is there anything different in the type of training you're doing for your elite soccer players rather than the the usual Pilates that, you know, your wife might be doing?
1: You know, I think the focus for our guys is twofold. It's lower extremity strengthening and enhancement of flexibility. Whereas people in the community, uh, I mean, they're going to do exercise for various reasons, whether it be toning, weight control, what have you. So I think that as long as the instructor or, or person who's sort of directing the, the program understands that, you know, for these particular players, that's what the focus is and should be, really there, there isn't anything different or unique about the types of exercises that these athletes do within the realm of Pilates itself. It's just that they tend to focus on those particular things for most of their time on the reformer.
0: Great. So we just have the instructor narrow it down to the lower extremities or whatever we want to work on.
1: Exactly. I have to say, I don't know how you encounter Pilates. It's just rather kind of taken off in the last, I'd say, five to seven years. It's really epidemic here in New York City. I mean, everybody's doing it. It seems to be a very easy and sort of fun way if you're intimidated by weights and what have you. It just really kind of caught on. And I think the professional teams are probably a little late in catching on because uh, there's such a dogma, as you know, with regards to the strength and conditioning coaches using what has worked. And if you had a long history of success, and you usually have been out a while, as you know. So it's actually fairly admirable, I think, that our, that our teams have taken up this mantle and, and used it so effectively.
0: Particularly for eccentric injuries, it sounds like a great way to prevent those.
1: Yes, certainly seems to have helped out a lot.
0: If you're just tuning in, you're listening to Breakthroughs in Sports Medicine on ReachMD, XM157, the channel for medical professionals. I'm your host, Dr. Sherwin Ho, and joining me today to discuss the treatment and prevention of injuries for elite soccer players is Dr. Riley Williams. Dr. Williams is head team physician for the New York Red Bulls professional soccer team in New York City. Dr. Williams, let's uh, move on to other hip injuries. How about the hip joint itself, the ball and socket joint? What types of injuries are you seeing in your elite soccer players?
1: Well, there are a couple of injuries, one which is really I think, had been underappreciated prior to, oh, I'd say maybe the past five to seven years because of our ability now to image with highly sensitive MRI, really appreciating the tears in the in the hip labrum, which is a, you know, as you know, a small rim of cartilage which helps to keep the hip in place, basically, and it circ- circumferentially, it surrounds the socket of the hip, and again, because these guys are using their legs for essentially all the activities are in soccer, again, much like the sports hernia, uh, I think this is an injury, an injury that you see in players who've been around the block a while, you know, mid-20s and up, almost like an injury of attrition, if you will.
0: So you're talking about the labral injuries in the hip, and going beyond that, besides the labral injuries, are you seeing what has been described as classic impingement in this population of athletes?
1: You know, we're not, really. I think that's obviously an area of, of great interest now. Brian Kelly, who who is at our institution, is one of the thought leaders in this area. He actually is involved with our soccer team as well. We've just not observed, I guess, the changes in the femoral neck and at the acetabulum and the hip that are sort of consistent with that. We certainly have not had any soccer players have undergone any kind of procedures for hip impingement, but we certainly have had a lot who've had the hip arthroscopy for the labrum, anything from reattachment of the labrum with a formal repair to just cleaning it up and doing a debridement. You do see also in the older players a few cartilage lesions of the femoral head, too, which we haven't done large reconstructive-type procedures or, or cartilage procedures on that, but clean-out-type procedures as well, which seems to work pretty good. But hip arthroscopy, again, as you know, it's a fairly, fairly nascent field, and I think guys are just really kind of better understanding the indications and the type of procedures they're supposed to do. So we try to keep it relatively conservative.
0: So for our audience, uh, how would someone with a uh, labral tear present?
1: Well, typically, uh, obviously with pain, usually with extremes in range of motion, either trunkal rotation or actual hip rotation. It's usually centered in the groin. can be confused at times with an inguinal hernia, about which we spoke previously. On physical exam, really flexing the hip up, at a 90-degree angle with the body and then then doing an internal rotation maneuver with some compression on the hip, you sometimes can elicit pain or a palpable clunk or click in the hip joint, which should increase your clinical suspicion. Diagnostically, the x-rays really are not of much value. MRI is the gold standard imaging modality for this type of problem.
0: In your practice, are you using MRI arthrograms? We found that here, we miss a lot of the labral tears with uh, routine MRIs and oftentimes pick them up with an MRI arthrogram. I know your experience with Dr. Potter at your institute might be somewhat different than the rest of the country, but what's, what's been your experience with MRIs versus MRI arthrograms?
1: Well, Dr. O was speaking of Dr. Hollis Potter, who's the director of our MRI group here at Hospital for Special Surgery. She's, uh, again, a thought leader in the area, and, and we have the advantage of a couple of things. Number one, very large magnets at our institution, which allow for a level of detail that I think is not typical in the community. So I'll give a two-part answer. I think we have not typically had to use MR orthograms at HSS, but I think the literature would bear this out, too, that if you have a, an athlete or a patient even who in whom you suspect this, MR arthrograms will only enhance the definition about the soft tissue structures in the hip and will lead to a more accurate diagnosis. So I think you really just have to look at the facility with which you work and try to make a, a determination as best you can clinically if you think that's appropriate. But certainly there's no downside diagnostically to doing a hip arthrogram.
0: Well, I'd clear it up like this. If you're within driving distance... Of the Hospital for Special Surgery, (laughs) send them there for a four-Tesla magnet MRI uh, exam. Otherwise, you probably are going to save more money by doing one test and doing the arthrogram. Exactly. You spoke a little bit about cartilage injuries in the hip. Can you talk a little bit about cartilage injuries, particularly in the knee, which we all know in the elite athlete, once they hit about 25, 26, 27 years old, becomes much more common injury.
1: Yes, yes. Well, this is an area which is uh, kind of near and dear to me. You know, cartilage lesions of the knee and hip are, ankle are very common in, in the athletic population and are quite nettlesome because, as, as you know, we have yet to come up with a reliable method that we can use in regular folks, let alone athletes, that would lead to a reliable and predictable return to sport, which is what we're all very interested in as team physicians. Having said that, the Microfracture procedure, the ACI procedure, have all been touted as ways in soccer players in particular as effective methods at getting folks or athletes back to sport. We did a study out of our institution, prospective study, looking at this very question and, and really found a miserable 40% return to sport rate following microfracture at the two-year follow-up interval with worsening results the longer out you went. As such, one of the things I've been trying to figure out is, you know, basically what is a one-stage procedure that might work more readily to reconstruct the defect and allow us not to to debilitate our, our athletes? Because, sure, when you know that the, the things that make athletes good are not whether or not their knees are sound or, or whole, it's that their their muscles fire a little faster and that their endurance is a little longer. And when you're talking about doing surgery, it, it's a two-part two-part question. It's like, can you fix the problem, and can you help them maintain that physical advantage, that physical fitness that made them so effective as athletes in the first place? So I was never really enamored with the with the ACI procedure, but just not not because the, I didn't like the science. I think the science was sound. It's just that on a practical level, you were really looking at maybe two procedures at a minimum, but in most cases, three, when you had to go back in after having harvested cells, then implanting cells, and then later debreeding what you put in there because it was overgrown or or it was causing mechanical symptoms or what have you. So I really look towards the allograft reconstruction as a nice way to to reconstruct these, and and I've had experience with that in, in the professional soccer league.
0: So what you're saying for this elite group of athletes, perhaps what might be called the gold standard, the microfracture, might not be the most efficient way to get these athletes back on the field.
1: Well... Listen I, you're a team physician, and you understand the conversation is always very charged. These are professional guys who who make a living uh using their bodies, and it's just not a question of recreation as to you know when and if they're going to make it back. They'd like a, a firm timeline they want results they want they want to know okay, if I put in the effort from a rehab side, when will I be back and it, it really can you know, the difference between you know livelihood and not so increasingly we're just very interested in trying to find a one-stage procedure that if it wouldn't at least reconstruct to normal cartilage that it would give us some method of, of putting something there where the cartilage was sufficient so that they could you know continue to play
0: thanks riley it's been an informative and interesting discussion on elite soccer players i'd like to thank my guest dr riley williams we have been discussing the treatment and prevention of injuries for elite soccer players You've been listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD XM157, a channel for medical professionals. For a complete program guide and podcast, visit www.reachmd.com. For comments or questions, call us toll-free at 888-MD-XM157. Thank you for listening.